Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, as I said, today we're celebrating the feast day of St. Vincent de Paul, which isn't, part, which isn't a unique way, a particular uh, feast for our parish, just because of our incredible St. Vincent de Paul ministry. I know many of us at Mass this morning have taken part in that ministry in one way or another, whether it was loading food in and out of the pantry or serving food to the folks as they come uh, throughout the week. But man, we have an incredible treasure here at Sacred Heart with our St. Vincent de Paul ministry and the people who put that on. I was, uh, I was blessed a number of years ago, it was 2010, 2009, um, a buddy of mine who was a seminarian, now a priest at the time, Father Jeff Barnish and two other priests, the, the four of us traveled to Rome, Assisi, and Paris, um, and part of the trip to Paris was making a stop um, to the tomb of St. Vincent de Paul. I didn't know this at the time, but Vincent de Paul is incorrupt. He's an incorrupt saint. And he is really incorrupt. Like, looks like he's just napping, kind of incorrupt. And his body is in this glass case that's just above. So it's hard to picture, but imagine um, there's, a, there's a second level up here. And there's stairs that lead up on either side behind the high altar. And you can go and kneel right in front of the glass case. And I was doing that. I was kneeling right in front of this glass case. And I'm like, this close to the guy's face. Like, you can count his eyelashes. Like, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Anyway, it's a, it's a sign from God. Why would God do those sorts of things? It's certainly a sign that this person lived an incredibly heroic life and his care and concern for the poor is meant to be modeled by all of us. So that's St. Vincent de Paul. I want to turn our attention, though, back to the, uh, the first reading, this kind of continuation of the journey through the book of Ezra because there's some just beauty, beauty in this first reading. I love this first reading that we have today, this segment um, from the book of Ezra, that he is just so overwhelmed with gratitude in this reading. He is so overwhelmed with gratitude, he can barely speak or he can barely contain himself. Like he can't sleep. Like he's just thinking about the, the... the justice of God in punishing the people of Israel and sending them into exile. And then he says, in this like, and in but a short time, mercy came to us from the Lord. Like this unbelievable turn of events, right? A short time ago, mercy came to us from the Lord our God who left us a remnant and gave us a stake in his holy place. Thus our God has brightened our eyes and given us relief in our servitude. For slaves we are, but in our servitude our God has not abandoned us. Rather, he has turned the good of the goodwill of the kings of Persia toward us. Again, the astonishment that God has used the enemies of Israel to bring about the goodness of Israel. Thus he has given us new life to raise again the house of our God and to restore its ruins, and has granted us a fence in Judah and Jerusalem. Like this utterly unforeseen, this unimaginable turn of events towards the good. Like, like who could have imagined that the kings of Persia would be the cause of Israel's restoration? Like this, what I'm trying to get at is this, this unimaginable turn towards the good, this 
experience of Israel in the Old Testament here, it is a, it's a foreshadowing of the resurrection. You've heard me preach about typology, how things in the Old Testament point towards um, things in the New Testament, right? The old prefigures the, the new, the new fulfills the old. This restoration, this return from exile is a, a type of the resurrection. The resurrection was utterly unforeseen, unimaginable, right? You go from utter calamity, chaos, devastation, loss, in Good Friday, he's dead, he's buried. They wrap his body, 100 pounds of aloes and spices. You don't do that if you think the guy's coming back, right? You're going to say, like, let's save the aloes and spices. I think he's coming back. You wouldn't waste it on a corpse that's coming back. And they mourn because they think that's the end of the story. But he comes back. It wasn't, the resurrection was not the logical conclusion of a process, like, it wasn't as though, like, we, we know suffering, death, and resurrection as a sequence in our minds. That was not a sequence in the minds of Jesus' followers. It was suffering and death, period. Right? It's not like the resurrection was the emergence of the butterfly from the chrysalis, right? The caterpillar goes into the cocoon breaks down and then emerges as this butterfly. The emergence of the Christ from the tomb is not the emergence of the butterfly. That is a logical conclusion that you can understand. This is an utterly unimaginable turn towards the good. There's a phrase that uh, a buddy of mine who's now a priest but in seminary, he, he shared this word with me and it just, I, I've not stopped thinking about it since. To describe the resurrection, it's a word that J.R.R. Tolkien coined. Tolkien, of course, who's the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. He said we have in English the word catastrophe to describe this sudden devastation turned towards the bad. He said we don't have in English its opposite. A sudden turn towards the good from calamity. So he said, I'm going to coin the phrase, you catastrophe. You catastrophe. This is what he said in his essay he wrote on, called On Fairy Tales. I coined the word you catastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears, which I argued is the highest function of any fairy stories to produce. And I was there led to the view that it produces its peculiar effect in us because it is a sudden glimpse of the truth that your whole nature is chained in material cause and effect, the chain of death. It feels a sudden relief as if a major limb out of joint had suddenly snapped back. It perceives if the story has literary truth on this level that this is indeed how things really do work in the great world for which our nature is made. And I concluded by saying that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible in the greatest fairy story and produces that essential emotion, Christian joy, which produces tears because it is qualitatively so like sorrow because it comes from those places where joy and sorrow are at one, reconciled, as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. 
So friends, on this Feast of St. Vincent of Paul, we're reminded again of the great eucatastrophe of the resurrection that we consume in this Eucharist.